Welcome to Highlands. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Jeremy. I uh, grew up going here at Highlands, and I remember actually very vividly this morning as I came in to uh, be with you, um, I looked over and I had this memory just come flashing, rushing back to me. Um, I must have been in fourth or fifth grade here with my family, and it was a Sunday, probably similar to today, where uh, we had a guest speaker that came and uh, did some preaching. And I remember sitting over here right in some of these seats back when they were pews, totally fell asleep. And uh, so my goal today is to not put any of you to sleep. So if I can do that, right, I've, uh, I've moved in the right direction. If I haven't had a chance to meet you again, my name is Jeremy, and it's a privilege to be with you. I grew up going here to Highlands. I was on staff here at Highlands for a number of years. It's been about 10 years since I was on staff, but I helped plant the Kent campus. I've been a part of uh, tons and tons and tons of, of high school camps, junior high camps, elementary camps. I've run, uh, served in kids' ministry here at Highlands for a number of years done so much. In fact, there's people sitting here that I've done ministry with you, and it's a privilege to be here. So thank you for allowing me uh, to share part of your uh, holiday weekend as we get ready to start off 2022. For those of you who are familiar with me and my story, I just want to give you a quick update on my family. Um, I have a picture I want to share with you. It's a picture of my wife, Ronnie, and my three kids. We have Elaine in there who uh, just turned six a couple of weeks ago. Bennett is going to turn four in three days. And then our son, Henry, who is about 14 months old right now, uh, we did, after we left Highlands, we uh, were kind of missionaries and a pastor in Salt Lake City, Utah, where we did some ministry, reaching out to people with an LDS background, did that for about six years. And then I've been in Columbus, Ohio uh, for the last three or four years and uh, flew out this weekend to, to be a part of you. So it's a privilege to be with you. And I appreciate you giving me the chance to share a little bit. Um, when I was originally invited by Pastor Nate to be here, uh, he was like, hey man, you can just talk, preach about whatever you want. I was like, great. So I got a passage, I had an outline, had it all written out, and then just happened to tune in the beginning of your guys' Christmas series that you did at Highlands. And Nate literally picked the passage, the same verses, every single one of them that I was going for. He even had some similar points that I was going for. I was like, great. So I was like, all right, I'll do something else. I'll decide, I got this great idea. I'm gonna do, I'll teach on James 4. And so the James 4 it is, and then tuned into uh, the, the Sunday right after Christmas. And he had a short little message that he did online preaching on James 4. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Uh, so I was like, well, he's not preaching between now and then, so I can get it off. And I decided to settle on Psalm 62. And in fact, in many ways, this is one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament, so it's a privilege to be able to share it with you. And if you tuned in last week, one of the things that you kind of heard was some very practical, down-to-earth biblical advice on how people can um, create their plans for this next year in a way that honors Jesus. Very practical, tangible, down-to-earth life. And so in many ways, today, what I wanna do is I wanna build on top of that. And so we didn't plan it this way, but in many ways, it's almost gonna kind of be like a middle mini-series where these build off of one another. And my hope and goal today is to uh, stay away less from the how of the plan and instead focus on the what to plan. I think for many of us, uh, there's something fresh and unique about the beginning of the year where we look ahead to a blank slate of opportunity to see what's before us, and we can't help but be excited about all the things that we want to accomplish. And so planning, for whatever reason, is a big part of um, the beginning of the new year. Many of you guys may already have a plan, and still others of us may be in a spot where you're thinking, I'm not really much of a planner. In fact, when I say planning, you may think of like those right-brained people who have like a checklist for everything under the sun. They've got like an app that like has all the different groceries that they need to get. I mean, they're super organized. Thinking, I'm not that person. I'm not a planner. I don't see how this is going to apply to me. And the reality is, I think all of us are planners more than we realize this. And if you're a, someone that takes notes or you type in your phone to follow along, I'm gonna prompt you from time to time to do that. You can stick it to the man and be like, nope, not gonna do that. Fine, totally okay. But if you wanna follow along, great. I think very linearly in an outline, 
Uh, I am one of those right brain people uh, who, who plans a lot of things. But I think in many ways, we're, we're all planners. In fact, I put it kind of this way in my notes, and I encourage you to write this thought down. Um, but when it comes to planning, you don't have to be a planner to have plans. Like, all of us have plans in our life. Um, there's some people that are thinking, you know what, like, I, I'm not a planner. And, and here, here's what I would do. Let's just imagine with me a scenario where we fast forward your life 10, 20 years, right? If you're in high school right now, 10 years may seem like forever. Like, you don't even know if you're going to be alive in 10 years. It's so long away. Um, especially if, like, you're in fourth or fifth grade, you're like, I can't even imagine the middle school, let alone adulthood. But just imagine with me, you know, 10, 20 years down, down the line. And just imagine with me, what does your life look like? Because if you were to kind of think about that, what do your relationships look like? What do your finances look like? Where are you living? What are you doing? We may not have all the details figured out, but I think most of us, if we start to kind of play down that line, we start to think, oh, yeah, like, you know, I'll be, I'll be married at that point. I'll have 2.5 kids. We'll have the dog. We'll have the white picket fence. We have this picture in our mind. You might be thinking, I'm not a planner, but I do know that, like, I want to graduate college and get a great job that makes lots of money so I can get a nice house and I can afford to go on vacation once or twice a year, maybe even one day afford, like, a, a vacation home on Lake Chelan. And we've got these pictures in our mind of what we want our life to look like. Others of us may be like, I don't really, I'm not a planner, but I just know that one day I want to get married. I want to have a relationship and it's going to be really great. We're going to be best friends and we're going to be able to like read each other's minds. I'm never going to have to ask for anything. They're just going to always know what I want all the time. It's going to be very romantic, very awesome, but not too oppressive. So we have enough time in our life to uh, do hobbies and get out and do all this different stuff. And the more we do this, the more we realize there's all these drop downs. And if you haven't realized already, I talk really fast. So if your ears start bleeding, I apologize. And still others of us are at a spot where we're thinking, I'm not a planner, right? I just go with the flow because here's what I found in life. If I start planning now, I know that life doesn't go according to plan and I don't wanna get disappointed anymore. So I'm just gonna go with the flow and see what happens and see how life comes my way. But even that is a plan in and of itself. We all have plans and our plans aren't neutral. In fact, if you were to even seriously consider your plans, I think we'd start to recognize that in many ways, our plans, our plans are an expression of something. I, I kind of wrote down this thought as I was thinking about it. Um, oftentimes, our life plan uh, is a kind of a reveal. It reveals and defines kind of how we define success in life. There's something about our life plans that reveal how we define success. We have this picture in our mind of what we want our relationship with our kids to look like, because down the road, we know that when our kids become adults, we don't have a certain kind of relationship with them. We have this picture in our mind of the type of career we want because we want to have a career that's meaningful and impactful. We have a a picture in our life of what we want our romantic relationships to look like, our friendships to look like, because in many ways, those plans are what we define success with in life. This is why when plans don't go the way that we want them to go, it can be crushing for us. In fact, some of you, you may be here right now and you're not quite sure what you believe about God or the Bible because your plans have been crushed. And when your plans were crushed, it put you into a faith tailspin. Maybe you were raised going to church and your relationships didn't turn out the way you want. Your first marriage didn't turn out the way you want. Or maybe you thought you would be married by now and you're not. Or you thought you would have gotten that job that's just meaningful and impactful and makes a lot of money and you just feel like you're just pushing papers. And in that time, we start to recognize that we think, man, is this really worth it? Like I've, I've prayed, I've tried the Christian thing and my plans aren't working out. Because our plans in many ways are how we define success. Our plans are an expression of hope. They're really in many ways what we're basing our life on, what we're hoping will be true about our future in the world. And so in many ways, our plans are more than just some details about how we want to get from point A to point B in 2022. They are an expression of the core of who we really are in life. And so it's important for us to not just go through life planning the way that we've always planned or planning the way that other people plan, 
But in many ways, when we look at all the opportunities we have to engage scripture and see if maybe there are some truths, some guiding principles that we can mine to help us live a Jesus-centered life when it comes to our plans in 2022. So the passage that we're gonna look at today, we read a few moments ago from Psalm 62. And I'll be really clear, this is not a passage that is specifically designed on how to plan your life with three helpful planning points that you could put into a blog and plan your whole life and go from there. However, there are a number of underlying truths that the, um, the writer of the Psalm, David, was assuming as he was approaching his life, as he was analyzing what was going on in his life, and as he faced adversity, trials, frustration, heartache, loss, brokenness, how they guided him in navigating those circumstances so that his plans were an expression of his faithfulness and his loyalty to God. In fact, what we're gonna see is, in many ways, we skipped over some passages in Psalm uh, 62 that unpack some of the conflict that's happening. And what scholars think is that while there's no defining characteristics in Psalm 62 that explicitly state what's going on, the beginning of the psalm and the end of psalm connect to Psalm 4 and Psalm 39, which are psalms directly connected to how David dealt with the betrayal of Absalom, his son, when he was dethroned from ruler of Israel, where he lost his family, he lost his prosperity, he lost everything that he had built in his life. And what we see is that in this moment, we see a genuine, honest expression of how he navigated those plans not working out. And from those, we can take truths to apply to our life regardless of where we may be. So if you have a Bible, I wanna invite you to open up to Psalm 62. We're gonna read through it. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, we're gonna throw the verses on the screen behind me so that you can follow along. But I'm just gonna kind of dive in to Psalm chapter 62. This is David uh, writing. He says, I am at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My stronghold, I will never be shaken. In modern terms, we have a phrase called um, someone who's being centered. It's a psychological term. Someone who's centered is someone who's operating from a place of security, of comfort, um, of confidence, and of courage. Someone who recognizes that when they're centered, they can deal with all the adversities of life and they can power through it with courage and joy and peace and goodness, much like the song that we sang just a few moments ago. And in many ways, what we see is, is David is describing his relationship with God, and it perfectly aligns with how modern psychology describes what a centered, confident person looks like. He, he mentions in verse one this idea of rest, that he's at a spot of, of comfort. Even though everything is falling apart, he's taking that moment like you get after Thanksgiving when you've eaten all the good food and you sit on the couch and you watch football and you're just like, <sighs> that's what he's feeling. As his life is falling apart, he's at the center of just comfort. He, he talks about this idea that he's in a stronghold. I will never be shaken. He's got a level of confidence that the circumstances of his life cannot touch. And he gets to a place where he talks about my salvation, that my deliverance from my immediate problems right here and right now, he can connect and find in God. And so in many ways, what he's describing is the opportunity and the invitation that every single person has available to them. Especially if you are a follower of Jesus, this is the target that David is inviting us into. And we'll see that as we continue to unpack this. But, but here's what I know describing David and his relationship with God right here, right now. There is probably a gap in your life and in my life between what we see here and how you go about navigating your plans in your life. I mean, this sounds great. We may want this. We may think, this is what I want in my life, but this is where I'm at. And I think if we're really honest and we were describing our plans and how we navigate um, our plans, whether they're good or they're bad, they work or they don't work, is that in many ways, we don't start with Jesus. They're very me-centered. 
In fact, I would encourage you to write this down. When it comes to our plans, I think that for many of us, we come to a place where most of our plans are Jesus-flavored, not Jesus-centered. Right, you, you guys know this, right? There's a difference when something is flavored, like with all natural flavoring. It's like, that is definitely not banana, right? That's not the real thing. It tastes like chemicals. For many of us, when we come with our plans, we do the same thing. Because our starting place for as we envision our future, it starts with us and it ends with us. And here's what I know about a meaningful life. A meaningful life is never a life that just ends with you. Every single person who's facing the end of their life and looking back on everything that they've accomplished, the thing that matters most to them is having an impact beyond themselves. If your goals start with you and end with you, in the end, you will only have yourself to show for yourself. And we all want a life. Even if you're not a Christian, you may be thinking, I want that. I want a life that's meaningful. I want a life that lasts beyond that. And as a follower of Jesus, the biggest disconnect we have towards this kind of faith and this kind of confidence and courage is the fact that for many of us, we start with ourselves, we bring those plans that are about ourselves and for ourselves to Jesus, and we ask him to bless those plans while we pray for them. And we think we have this kind of math that we appropriate our life to. And we say that me plus kind of a little bit of Jesus equals everything that I want in life. That's what I'm aiming for, and that's what I'm going for. But what we're going to see in Psalm 62 is David actually has a totally different math set to work with. He's talking about a Jesus-centered math, one that doesn't start with you, but actually starts with Jesus. What are his plans, his hopes, his goals for your dreams? In this, we see David, someone who has comfort, someone who has confidence, and someone who has security. And in many ways, what David is saying is that if you want those things, you need a new way of, of following Jesus this next year when you go about laying your plans for 2022. In many ways, David, David has a different math set. And this is what I'd encourage you to write down because this is a big takeaway from what I hope you walk away with today. That the math that, Jesus, that, that uh, David is working with is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. In fact, it's the title of a great book by a man named Tullian Tegibian, someone whose life literally fell apart. The pastor who was caught in adultery, lost everything, lost his relationship, lost relationship with kids, lost so much. And he just re recently wrote and re-updated this book, talking about Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And in many ways, what David is talking about is coming to a place where my goals don't start with me, they actually start with Jesus. If you want security, David is saying, plan to find it in Jesus. If you want comfort in 2022, plan to find it in Jesus. If you want courage and conviction, plan to find it in Jesus. Because if 2022 is just like 2021 and 2020 and 2019, and it starts with you or ends with you, in the end, you will wish you had more to show for your life, especially if you're a follower of Jesus and you recognize that your life is a gift from God that you should steward for his glory and his purposes in the world around you. So we're gonna skip verses three through four because in many ways, David's unpacking the conflict and the tension that uh, he is walking through. And we're gonna again get to verse five. So if you wanna follow along in verse five, it says this, David repeats himself, rest in God alone, my soul. For my hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my glory depend on God. My strong rock, my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times. You people, he's, he's talking to you and me, not just himself anymore. He's transitioning and talking to you and me. Trust in him at all times. You, me, pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. It's easy to miss the power that exists just because this is a piece of poetry. He, he starts talking about this idea that rest in God alone are you weary and tired of the rat race? 
Are you weary and tired of being pushing for more, the next promotion, the next job, the next homework assignment, the next thing that's around the corner, the next event, the next thing with your kids? David is offering us rest for our soul, rest that brings satisfaction and comfort. He continues talking, this idea that in God alone, he is his rock and his salvation. And he says this, my salvation and glory depend on God. Every single one of us have a sense of glory that we look to in ourselves. What's that thing in you that you are most proud about you? Maybe it's something you've accomplished at work. Maybe it's the way that you're raising your kids. Maybe it's something that you've accomplished financially. Maybe it's something that you've done on the sports field. Whatever it is, we've got these things that when we look at ourselves, they're the thing that we're most proud of about ourselves. That's our glory. The thing that we can't wait to show off to other people and lead with our best foot forward. David is saying that if you want what he's offering, your glory has to be connected to Jesus first. That the thing that you're most proud about is what God is doing in you and through you, not what you're doing for God, not what you're doing for yourself. He's coming to a place where he's saying, man, you want a sense of glory that lasts, a sense of pride? Find it in Jesus. Plan to find it in him this next year. And then he says this, trust in him at all times. Here's what I know about trust. If you can't trust someone at all times, you can't trust someone at all. Every single one of us that have little kids, you know this, right? When they come up to you and say, hey, can I have uh, scissors, glue, and glitter? You think, I don't trust you, right? Unless I'm right here watching and in control, I don't trust you. This is why you can't have this if I'm not in the room because I don't trust you. For many of us, we say we trust Jesus. We sing about trusting Jesus. And then we come to a place that we trust him in some things, maybe even for our eternity, but we don't trust him with our life. We don't trust him with our wallet. We don't trust him with our romantic relationships. We don't trust him with our identity. We don't trust him when we need to forgive when we don't want to. We don't trust him when the wrong political party wins. And what David is saying right here is he's bringing up this idea of the exclusivity of following Jesus. A Jesus plus nothing equals everything means that you have to embrace the nothing. There's an exclusivity feature. Now, if you grew up going to church, when I say exclusivity, you might start thinking like John, uh, John, the gospel of John, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. That's true. But David's actually talking about something more practical here. He says four times in God alone, which means that when it comes to our plans, he's saying that when you're making your plans for 2023, are they based in Jesus alone? Are they based in his plans, his goals, his desires, and not just yours? I think in many ways, if we were to distill the, the main point, the truth, the first principle that David's trying to help us understand, it would be this principle right here, that more is less. And this is hard because we grow up in a culture that teaches us over and preaches to us over and sells us over and over and over again that the good life is the one with maximized opportunities, that you know life is good when you've got so many different opportunities, you've got so many different things that you can accomplish, so many different doors open to you, that that's the good life. And what David is saying is that if you want an abundant life, if you want a confident life, if you want security that can never be taken or shaken, if you want confidence that is not connected to other people but is connected to something eternal, you have to embrace exclusivity. You have to recognize that actually, if you want more, you need to embrace less. Some of us are starting to realize that with our stuff, which is true, but he's talking about so much more. In fact, it's our desire for options and for more that actually keeps us from going deeper and experiencing God in more profound ways. 
right? This is why we're hesitant to maybe join a small group because that would be one more night of the week that's spoken for. This is maybe why we don't want to serve on a Sunday because we're thinking, man, that's one more Sunday. I know I can't sleep in it anymore. It may be a lot of different things, but we end up coming to a place where we will say no to a great thing to preserve the options for a bunch of good things. And what David is trying to help us understand here is that if you wanna dive in and experience Jesus in a more profound way in 2022, if you want your plan to be more like Jesus in 2022, you have to embrace less. You have to say no to a whole bunch of good things so you can say a loud and resounding yes to the greatest thing. This is just a principle of life. It's not even a Christian thing. This is just the way that the universe works. We've all experienced this every time we don't know what we wanna watch, but we open up Netflix to see what's on. You've had that experience, right? You sit down and think, the kids are asleep. I got my homework done. I can lay down whatever it is, whatever stage of life you're in there. And you get the remote and you start flipping through and maybe you watch a, you know, a trailer or two and you keep on scrolling and you add 20 different shows to your watch list. And all of a sudden it's been an hour and a half and you've watched nothing. It's called the paradox of choice, that actually when we maximize choices, we actually become paralyzed and don't accomplish or do anything. And if we're honest parents, we're even teaching our kids this all the time. This is why they're in like 40 different sports all at the same time with all the different school activities. We want them to have all the different opportunities and options that we never have. We think if I just maximize the options that my kids have, they will be better off long-term. And we are subconsciously undermining how God created them and us to work and thrive spiritually. That one of the best things that we can actually model for the next generation is a life of decisive and vocal yeses to the things that matter most and helping them navigate that. This is one of the reasons why psychologists say as people go off to college and young adulthood, they are becoming paralyzed because no one ever taught them how to say no to a good thing so they can say yes to the things that matter most. As a follower of Jesus, one of the best skills you can ever have is learning how to say no. Because when you say no, you create margin in your life to say yes to the things that matter most. That's the first thing that David's trying to help us understand, that more is less. And then he continues unpacking Starting in verse nine, he says this, common people are only a vapor, important people an illusion. Together on a scale, they weigh less than a vapor. He's pointing out multiple times, right? There's something about life. Life is just not what you expect. The importance, all the things that we accomplish and we think are great are a mirage. They're here today and gone tomorrow. In many ways, what he's trying to help us understand right here is that life is short. Again, you don't have to be a Christian to recognize this principle. Many of us feel this intuitively. Before we continue, I wanna do something um, that's maybe a little bit different. Maybe you've never done this before. Um, and sorry, if that's you, you're stuck. You can't go anywhere. So we're gonna do this. Um, I wanna invite you to close your eyes with me for a second and just walk through uh, a, um, a practice. So to go ahead, uh, close your eyes, just think for a second. And kids, you won't have as much life experience, so it's gonna be a little bit more difficult, but follow along as much as you can. All right. I want you to think back to when you were a kid and think about your favorite hobby and activity. It was a sport. I want you to think back to the youngest memories you have of doing something fun with your family. Think about your first home that you grew up in. Think about how awkward you were in middle school. Think about maybe some sports or activities you did in high school. 
If you went to college, think about your first few days on college campus. If you went straight to the workforce, think about you know, your first real job. If you got married, think about the first time you met your spouse. If you have kids, think about the first time you held your first little one. Think about your first apartment or your first home when you first moved in. Think about everything that you've accomplished in your career. If you're a little bit older, think about graduating your kids from high school into adulthood. Now open your eyes. What David is saying here in this moment here is that your life, all of that, is a vapor. You want to replay? Wow, you accomplished a lot. Grandpa's life, get my math right. Heck, if we go back a couple of generations, we probably can't even remember our great, great, great grandfather's name. We don't even know. Everything that you've accomplished, everything that you're proud of, everything that you long for in life, there and gone. And yet here's what I know about most of us. When we realize that life is short, our tendency is to try to milk this for all it's worth. Right, we go through life, YOLO, right, just start sucking it all in as much as we possibly can. Live, laugh, love, live, laugh, love. <laughs> Trying to maximize it for all of its worth. And we wonder why. We are so anxious and exhausted and tired. And at the same time, why every time we get what we want, a few days later, it's gone. Because this can never bring you something that lasts. No lasting joy Peace, satisfaction, goodness can ever come from something that's temporary. We long for the eternal. We long to transcend what's temporary. We long for something that will last. But you can never take this and give you something that's last. But here's what you can do. You can take hold of something that's eternal, that's lasting, and you can bring it to your vapor. That is a difference between someone who's just frantically going through life, trying to consume as much as they possibly can, and someone else who recognizes that because life is short, I'm going to bring with me into the shortness the most abundant life I probably can by attaching my life, my worth, my identity, my focus, my goals, and ultimately my plans to something that's eternal. Just think about me with it for a second. Like one of the reasons why we struggle with this is because life is short. Again, we wanna maximize all of our different options and we tend to wanna push back on the shortness of life. And one of the ways that we push back on the shortness of life is we try, try to transcend and reject the limitations and boundaries that are associated with the shortness of life. You can never accomplish everything you wanna accomplish in life. You never will be able to do it. There will always be another goal or another plan that's just beyond what you can accomplish. And the wise life, the abundant life, a life that's built on security recognizes that you have these boundaries and these limitations. And instead of fighting them, you learn to embrace them. That the abundant life that David is talking about is a life where we adopt those boundaries. We embrace those boundaries. And we learn to thrive in spite of those boundaries rather than fighting against them all the time. If you are a parent of a little kid right now, you cannot work as much as you wanna work. There will always be another project and another hour and another amount of overtime that will be demanded of your time. If you're freshly married right now, you only get this time once. 
If you want to maximize the relationships that you have with your neighbors so that you can invest in them and invite them to follow Jesus, you have to recognize that your time is limited. So you can't just run to the garage. You've got to maximize that opportunity. If you're someone where you've got a high school student, you've only got a few years left, maximize that time. These are God-given blessings, not things that we need to push back against. And when we learn to adopt those boundaries and adopt those limitations, it actually makes life richer, less miserable, more peaceful, and ultimately more freeing. Because here's the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is every unmet desire that we long for, that we will no longer be able to taste and appreciate because of the limitations and the shortness of life will be fully and finally met in Jesus when the day when he comes back and we are resurrected. The hope of Christianity is not your best life now is the best life in the life to come. It is to recognize every longing that will never be met because of the shortness of life. You will get back and then some with Jesus in eternity, which frees us up to embrace where we're at, to live with peace and confidence and courage and joy. Why? Because we're actually living within the boundaries that God created us to live with. Boundaries are not things that should be transcended and fought against. These are things that actually are good for us. The hard part is that in our culture, we're told and we're sold over and over and over again that boundaries and limitations are forms of oppression, that you should throw those off, that you should transcend them, that you should fight them against at all odds. But here's what I know about people who devote their life to doing that. They become miserable. If you try to do it all, you will do nothing. If you try to be everything to everyone, you will be a nobody. If you try to have everything that you've ever wanted, you will alienate the people that matter most. The way that you free yourself up to love, to care, to invest in others is to be a person that joyfully and willingly adopts the boundaries that God has on your time and your season in life. If you're early in your career, it's not time to be the boss. So focus on the season that you're in right now. If you're in a season where you're in school and you're looking forward, your time is to devote yourself to your studies and to becoming the man or God, the man or woman that God created to be now. Because here's what I know, you bring your character with you wherever you go. What better time to focus on now before you're working? The person who actually stands up for what's right in the corporate world is the person who cultivated that character when they were in school. Embrace the season that you're in now. Quit pushing back on the boundaries that God has sovereignly placed in your life. These are not bad things. They're good things, ultimately, for your thriving and for your good. So if you wanna live a Jesus-centered life, if you wanna be someone that brings your goals to him and starts with what he wants, first, you Remember, you gotta go to a place where you recognize that more is less. So you exclusively embrace the things that matter most. And then second, you recognize that life is short. You'll never be able to accomplish everything that you want. So you need to strategically, with wisdom and discernment, choose the opportunities that will maximize God's plans for you in your life right now. Here's a way to do that. You're gonna probably have so many different opportunities this next year. Here's a couple questions to think about as you're thinking about those opportunities. How does this opportunity help me behave and live more like Jesus? How does this opportunity allow me to leverage my influence and my resources for his kingdom? How does this opportunity help me become the man that I think or the woman that I think God is calling me and creating me to be? And lastly, how does this help me experience Jesus in a more profound way this next year? Those are Jesus-centered questions to assess the different options that are before you. 
and it touches everything. Here, here's a simple way, right? Some of us were thinking about our goals and our plans for 2022. We're thinking, this is the year. I know I've been saying it since 1995, but here we go. This is the year. I'm losing 25 pounds. Here we go for it, right? We're gonna get down. The washboard abs, they're coming. And we could think, oh man, that's just vain. I'm just focusing on my beauty. But here's what I know it's true. As a follower of Jesus, as a pastor, my body matters to God. And I will never have the energy and the vitality and the longevity I need to maximize my, in, my impact in my children's lives, in my wife's life, and in my people's life at my church if I'm unhealthy. If I get healthier, I sleep better. I have more energy. I have more of me to give away. And so I'm connecting very practical, tangible ways to help me experience the goodness of God in new ways, of giving myself away like Jesus on a more regular basis. Think about your finances, right? Maybe you, you want to get rid of debt and you wanna create some financial margin in your life. You could do it for yourself so you could buy more stuff or thinking about those questions, thinking through what if I become financially, uh, I got financial margin so I can actually take Jesus at his word and believe that giving is better than receiving and become more generous. Maybe it's to recognize that I'm going to create financial margin so I can invest in what God is doing in the greater picture of the world. Maybe for your career, it's not I just wanna get a promotion so I get the corner office. It's recognizing that by getting a promotion, I get to speak into the corporate culture that will uplift and dignify human beings in a more meaningful way. They are no longer a cog in the machine, but I can push and use my influence and leverage to breathe dignity and worth into the lives of my employees. Maybe it's on a soccer field. Instead of being a great, talented player where you're the star, where everyone focuses on you, you become a great player because when you're a great player, you earn influence and you can leverage that influence to invest in other people, to care for them, and to ultimately point them to a thriving Jesus-centered life. These are all meaningful goals, good goals. And they're taken from being me-centered and transformed to Jesus-centered, recognizing I can't do it all, but I'm gonna focus on the ones that drive me to be more like Jesus on a regular basis. That's the second principle or truth. The third one that we're gonna see comes towards the end, starting in verse 10. He says this, place no trust in oppression or false hope in robbery, if wealth increases, do not set your heart on it. In an older translation of the CSB, it says, pay no attention to it. When he's talking about oppression, he's talking about power. Let's be honest, for many of us, we find a sense of confidence and courage and security based on who's in the Oval Office. We're connecting our hope to power. When he says, hey, make sure that you, you place no false hope in robbery, he's basically, it's a poetic way of saying, don't place hope in your cleverness, in your intelligence, in your wittiness, in your way of outwitting the problems of life. And then if wealth increases, which every one of us want, don't set your heart on it. Basically what he's saying is it power, wit, wealth. These are all things that if you place the weight of your hope and your dreams, it is a shaky foundation. In many ways, what David's trying to help us understand at this point is that when it comes to success, success is empty. For most of us, if we're honest, most of our plans are about being more successful or maybe even helping our kids be more successful. And what we see in scripture is success is a wonderful tool. It's really helpful. It will open up doors. It will give you resources. But success in and of itself is a terrible goal. The finish line of success will always be around the next corner. And people who devote themselves to success never feel successful because success is empty. Parents, I wanna to speak to you for a second. This is not a magic bullet. But I think if most of us were honest 
about the time, the energy, the money, and the resources that we devote to our children's lives. It's more about making them successful than it is about making them like Jesus. Because if we're honest, we don't even believe that success is empty. And the reality is, if we were to really apply this to our life, parents, we would recognize that we aren't setting our kids up for success if when they leave the home, they don't recognize that success is ultimately empty. We are training them to be on a treadmill, to run and to chase for something that will never satisfy them, thinking that if they can just be successful, they will get to a good place. And what David is saying right here is don't trust in it. It's empty, it's elusive, it's illusion, it's just around the corner and you'll never get it. And it may be, you may be like me. You may start to feel a little cynical and think, man, this is why I'm uncomfortable with Christianity. This is why I don't like it because, man, success matters. I wanna be successful. I wanna work hard. I wanna do all these things. It seems like Christianity is moving us away from that. No, it couldn't be further from the truth. Success is a great thing. God says in his word that when we devote ourselves to hard work, to creative thinking, to diligence, we probably are gonna be successful. But it's the byproduct of our character and God's faithfulness more than it is a goal that we aim for in our life. So we train our children and we live a life in such a way where we work hard, we think hard, but we recognize that success is ultimately empty and we aim our life with a different finish line and a different destination. And again, this isn't a Christian thing. This is just a life thing. In fact, I, I, was, I came across a, a quote from uh, um, a guy named, you probably know him, Jim Carrey, actor, author, Canadian philosopher, and uh, he, he's not a Christian. In fact, he's very unfriendly towards Christianity, but he said this. I hope everybody could get rich and famous and will have everything that they ever dreamed of so that they will know it's not the answer. This truth is so evident that even someone who never reads scripture and is even opposed to the work and the will of God recognizes the truth of God. And you might be thinking, well, he's Canadian. What does he know? <laughs> One of my favorite authors, his name is Charles Duhigg. He wrote a book called The Power of Habit. And he's a very successful writer. He went to Harvard, very just successful in every way. And he noticed something about his own life and the emptiness of success. And he went back to a time, uh, one of these events where the big wigs at Harvard, they're all become like hedge fund managers and billionaires and trillionaires and quadrillionaires. And they're all super successful and awesome and beautiful, full of Botox and all the good stuff. And uh, he was noticing something about their life. And so he wrote an article about this class of people that we all hope our kids are and we all kind of aim for ourselves without even thinking it. And the title of the article is uh, Healthy, Wealthy, Successful, and Miserable. And he wrote this about his experience, that when he gathered with these people, he said, most of us are living relatively normal uh, lives, but even among the more normal of my classmates, there was a lingering sense of professional disappointment. They talked about missed promotions, disaffected children, and billable hours in divorce court. They complained about jobs that were stressful and unfulfilling, tedious, or just plain bad. Goes on to describe a classmate that it was their job to invest $5 million a day and they couldn't invest that $5 million, whatever they didn't get carried over the next day and they had to do this to make all this money to get all, all, all of this wealth. And it says it was insanely stressful work done among people that I don't particularly like. It says I earned about $1.2 million a year and I hated going into the office every day. And he says this, I feel like I'm wasting my life. When I die, is anyone gonna care that I earned an extra percentage point of return? My life feels totally meaningless. He goes on in the article to say he recognized the incredible privilege of his pay status. 
but his anguish seemed genuine. And then his friend said this, if you spend 12 hours a day doing work you hate, at some point it doesn't matter what your paycheck says. There's no magic salary at which life becomes good. He had received an offer to be a part of a startup and he would have loved to be a part of it, but it only paid $600,000 a year. And then he said this, and this is the truth about success. He says he felt locked into a lifestyle that made the pay cut impossible. I brought it to my wife and my wife laughed when I mentioned it. This man has done what almost all of us wish our kids would be, what almost all of us wish we could be, what almost all of us admire and respect and defer to. And in this, they're saying success is empty. 3,000 years ago, David was saying the exact same thing. Success is empty. And if you wanna have a life of purpose and security and satisfaction, you need to have plans for 2022 that recognize the truth that success is empty. If you don't, you're you're chasing a never-ending finish line. And if you really wanna live a Jesus-centered life, you need to recognize that the things that matter most to Jesus, Jesus cares more about your character than your capacity. He values your being more than you're doing, and he celebrates people more than he celebrates productivity. And if those things are not baked into your plans for 2022, you are moving away from a Jesus-centered life, not towards a Jesus-centered life. And if you're not going to a Jesus-centered life, how can you invite and model it for your kids? And there's something inside of us that thinks, this is great, this is helpful, this is wonderful, awesome, I'm ready to be done with this, this would be helpful, but I'm not gonna do it. What we see in scripture, though, is if you know what's good and you don't do it, James, it says you're foolish. You're a person that looks in the mirror, you see your face, you turn away, and you forget what you look like. Jesus said it in the Gospels. If you hear my words and you don't build your life on them, you're like a fool who builds his house on a sound foundation that falls apart. If you don't build your plans for 2022 on these truths, You are like the fool of James and Jesus. You're building your life on a foundation that will not last. And I think most of us may say, I want this. I wanna live this way. I wanna be this kind of man. I wanna be this kind of student. I wanna be this kind of woman. But when I look at my life and everything else in the world, I just recognize there's so much that's out of my control. I can't do everything that I wanna do. I feel so helpless. And in these moments, we can either default to one of two places. We default to control. We try to control things. Think if I can just control everybody and everything, then I'll be able to get my plans. Or we give up and we go to fatalism. We just think, I can't do anything, so why even try? But check out how it's almost as if David understands exactly where our brains go 3,000 years ago, and he gets to a place where he ends the psalm this way, starting in verse 11. God has spoken once, and I have heard this twice. It's a Hebrew poetic way of saying, pay attention. Don't miss what I'm about to say next. Strength belongs to God and faithful love belongs to you, O Lord. And he says this, for you repay each according to his works. This is not a threat, this is an invitation. It's a reference to Psalm 8, where the psalmist says, as I look to the heavens, I look to the universe, I see the handiwork of you, O Lord. I see the stars and the heavens above. And then he ends with this wonderful line in the middle of the psalm. He says, who is man that you should be mindful of him. But he's trying to help us understand our plans matter. The thing that he's trying to help us walk away with is this final thought right here, that God is big, you're small, and yet your plans matter. How you plan for 2022 matters. Whether or not it's Jesus-centered or you-centered matters. All of those things matter. God is big, you are small, it matters. And here's what's beautiful. He's the reference of Psalm 8, talking about the stars and the heavens. And so I decided to like nerd out for a second. So I decided to do some research, got it going, just 
follow along with me this train of thought from Psalm 8 that he's referencing, right? Um, it's 73 light seconds from Earth to the moon. Cool, all right, whatever. Um, it's eight light minutes from the sun to the earth. Speed of light takes eight minutes. So the sun goes out, we don't die for eight minutes. Our solar system is 26,000 light years wide. The Milky Way, one galaxy in the universe, is 100,000 light years around and has approximately 100 billion planets. Our universe is approximately 90 billion light years in diameter with 21.6 sextillion planets in the observable universe. Now, for all of you who are like me who have no idea with numbers, millions, billions, trillions, quadrillion, quintillion, sextillion, I could be making this up and you would never even know. <laughs> and the God that created all that says you matter, your plans matter. How you go about planning your life and your future matter. He ends it right after there. For you repay each according to his works. He's saying your work matters. Your plans matter, your life matters. My life is a living testament to people here at Highlands who said, my plans matter, so I'm going to plan to invest in the next generation. I'm gonna plan to be generous. I'm gonna plan to serve. I'm gonna plan to cut off opportunities for my life so I can invest in other people's life. There are men and women sitting here right now that my story's connected to you. When I was in Utah, um, during my time at my church there, we baptized about 600 people. Um, most of those were people that were connected to the LDS faith. Most of those were adults. Incredible impact. Just even this last Christmas Eve, we don't do this a lot at my church, but occasionally we do. Christmas Eve is one of those. Where we invite people to experience and meet Jesus for the first time. And, and just a single evening, just at my campus alone, not, not the whole church, my campus alone, 22 people decided to follow Jesus for the very first time in their life. 19 of them were adults, 12 of them were men. This is an opportunity of great faithfulness on behalf of God, and it's connected back to people's faithfulness here at church, Highlands. I am who I am because of many people here. God wants to honor your plans. He wants to use your plan if you will simply bring them under his authority, bring them under living them as Jesus-centered. If you really wanna accomplish everything, it's Jesus plus nothing. And when it comes to 2022, I hope your plans are Jesus-centered and that you said it. Do you pray with me? Jesus, you are good, you are faithful. In many ways, everything that I've accomplished is a speck in light of history, and yet my plans matter and their plans matter. And I pray that for all of us, we would recognize the humbling opportunity we have to work for good, to be a part of something great, to connect our life to something eternal, to find security and comfort and hope in you. As we get ready to wrap up the service and we sing to you, God, what better way to start off this next year in singing in Christ alone because it's in Christ alone that we can plan to find hope. It's in Christ alone that we can find to find peace. It's in Christ alone that we can experience satisfaction that will never go away. It's in Christ alone that we can experience security that can be untainted and unchallenged by the circumstances of this world. So be with us this year as we seek to follow you honestly and wholeheartedly. May you be the cry of our heart and the anthem of our life in Jesus and Jesus alone. It's in your name that we pray, amen.